Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. This morning's sermon is, the title is, What's in Your Hand? Now, some of you may remember the the M&M's commercial, you know, it melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Or you would, some of you may remember the new commercial uh, for the Capital One credit card, you know, is what's in your wallet. No, I'm not talking about what's in your hand of chocolate melting or what's in your wallet in per se of what you have. But we'll talk about and look at some things that God has given us and are we using it to benefit and to build his kingdom. So, before we start out, I want to look at one verse here, Matthew 25, 23. Now, now, granted, this is not the key test. We're going to be looking at Judges 7, but all these verses that I'm about to give you are going to lead up to it. So if you have your Bible, just turn real quickly to Matthew 25, 23. And this is what it says. This is Jesus speaking. It says, The Master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this, this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. One of the things that has really been pressing on my heart lately, lately is to take an assessment of where we are. As a student minister, every year I, need, I have to sit back and re-examine what are we doing in the student ministry and are we doing it well or are we doing it effectively. And so this has been laying, weighing heavily on my heart over the past couple of months is to not only in the student ministry side, but for me, as a follower of Christ, I need to do an assessment. Am I doing everything I can to help build God's kingdom? What are we doing? How well are we doing it? I've quickly come to the understanding that it is not what you do not have that keeps you from building God's kingdom. It is wasting what we have. And in that sense, as I examine the things in my own life, I've looked at many times that God has given me certain things that I have not utilized and I have wasted. Each of us have tools we use on our jobs, in our homes. Just about anything we do on a daily basis requires some kind of tool. Your next meal will probably use tools, forks, knives, spoons, etc. If you've never seen me eat, I can turn a fork into a back hole. I love to eat. My wife knows this. I love to eat. As you can see, I have not, you know, done without many meals. I can take those tools that are given to me, what's in my hand, and make them effective. My question to you today is, are you doing well with what you have? Are you doing well with what's in your hand? We all wish we had more money, more time, more resources, more authority, more grace, more power, more options, and more opportunities. Many people will base their ability to achieve something on the economy. And I'm not sitting up here trying to talk political stuff, but it's something that impacts us every day. The past years have not been so great for a lot of people and families. People have lost homes, cars, jobs, and a lot of other things we consider tools of success. But I can say that I try to believe in one thing, and that's in God's economy. 
And in that sense of understanding that he gives me what I need, when I need it, and how I need it. We have everything we need right here, right now, to do what God is calling us to do. We have everything we need right here to be considered a healthy, vibrant, growing church. I even believe we have everything we need right now to make a significant impact on our community and our schools. We have the tools, especially when it comes to the student ministry, to, as I've mentioned before, to impact our schools, to impact our students' lives. So when they do become adults, they will not become a statistic of by the time they graduate high school that they quit coming to church, they quit being involved in the ministries that God had them once involved in, and they fall to the wayside. So this burning question, again, is in my heart. What are we doing with what God has placed us with? Everywhere we turn, the church is under scrutiny. Unfortunately, our generation is growing up in one that is more hostile towards the church than accepting of it. We see that every day. We have so many valid reasons to not try, to give up, to hide, to quit. I don't know about you, but I am not built that way. You can ask my wife. I'm very hard-headed. Some people won't believe that because Pastor Jimmy thinks I'm a lamb. But I am very hard-headed. And I'm one that will keep doing things until I figure it out or until I can accomplish it. Now, I may fail many, many times, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to continue to do it. Neither were the disciples, neither was Paul, neither were many leaders, pastors, and believers who went before you and I today. They kept on doing what God asked them to do. And this is one thing I found out. Excuses are like bad days. Sooner or later, everybody has one. Would you agree? The reality does not override the greater reality that God still calls us to engage in our world. Share his love and tell his story. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this. It says, and all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The question will never be if you have something in your hand. The question will only be, what are you doing with what you have? But I can't sing, Jason. Oh, well, you can still be used. I don't know a lot about the Bible. Okay, great. Neither do I. But I haven't prayed in public before. Fantastic. I haven't led a Sunday school class. Come on, we can still use you. Because God has equipped us with a lot of things that we sometimes still use as an excuse. One of the stories in the Bible that is one of my favorites is about a guy named Gideon. When Pastor Jimmy asked me to, to preach this morning, God would not leave me alone about Gideon for some reason. And I guess it's because I can relate to him. As you look in chapter 6, and we're about to review what chapter 7 has to say, but to give you a, a 
backstory of what's going on coming into chapter 7 of, of Judges. Gideon was hiding at the, from the enemy, from the Midianites. He was scared. And then the angel comes to him and says, mighty warrior. And that took me by surprise when he said mighty warrior because right there, God is already showing favor to him. And then he goes on and tells Gideon what God wants him to do. Well, I remember my call on my life into the ministry that even though I knew this was what God wanted me to do, I still questioned it. I still ran from it. I still wondered. I was like, you, still, you sure you want to use me? Don't have a college degree. I haven't gone to seminary yet. And in the same way as Gideon did in chapter 6, he laid out fleeces. Well, if you want this to happen, well, allow this to take place. And then God allowed it to happen. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, uh, God, okay. You sure? Well, allow this to take place. And if this is going to take place, then I'll do it. And then it happened. And I guess that's why Gideon is, his story is one of, one of my favorites because I relate to him a lot. And so I want us to look at Judges chapter 7. And Miss Renee in the children's sermon has hit on it a little bit. Gideon is getting ready to go into battle. And there's things that he is preparing for. And he gets his men together. And then God changes everything. He starts removing these soldiers from him and say, I want you to do it and I will give you the, the victory. But are you willing to use what's in your hand? So the first thing, in order to do well... With what we have, we have to know what we have. And we'll look at that in Judges 7, verses 1 through 7. If we put those verses up for me. It says, So Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were kept north of them in the valley near the hill Amora. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Irizites will boast to me that they have saved themselves by their own strength. I think that's a cool thing there because God's already telling them, well, if I give you all these soldiers, y'all are not going to give me credit. You're going to give your own self credit. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So the 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in a stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in a stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Now, some of you may be thinking, why did God divide them into two groups? Well, the main reason, one reason was to see how the men would react. Because in certain situations, different people act a different way. 
Now, from being in the military, I can understand exactly why he did what he done. Because when you're ready for battle, you don't want your soldiers just getting down on their knees and, and laughing the water up when they can't see the enemy coming. And that's why he sent those home. He wanted the ones that would sit down, kneel down, get the water in their hands and cup it and look so they'll be ready for the enemy to attack. In order to do well, we, with what we have, we have to know what we have. In the book of Judges, chapter 7, Gideon is preparing to go to battle. All his, all his, on his side, at his side are thousands of soldiers. And God puts Gideon and his army through a series of tests, which I just read, to eliminate the unnecessary clutter that would prevent God from getting the glory. Gideon did not need 30,000 men to destroy the enemy. He only needed 300 of the right ones. The entire purpose of getting rid of the soldiers was to eliminate the things Gideon thought he needed for victory. Because going into battle, you would think, especially if you're going against an army of almost 100,000 men, you would think you would need 30,000 men or probably even more. You would need the right equipment. You would need the right leaders in place. But often God would tell us, the only person you need is me. Look to me and I will provide you with the things that you need. God does his things with us. You have what you have. You cannot do what you can do. You are who you are because it is exactly what God needed in order for you to do what God wants you to do. You are the best you that you will ever be on this earth and no one can replace you. That's the reason why Paul was speaking to us and telling us in Philippians 4.13 that with Christ all things are possible. Know who you are and know what you've got. Do not get caught up in the trap of thinking you have, to, you have to have what others have in order to be used by God. That's why I was saying earlier, you can't sing. Oh, well, we can still use you in certain ways on Sunday mornings, whether it be in media, whether it be in greeting or anything like that. You don't have to always be up here in the choir singing. But I don't know much about the Bible. Okay, can you make coffee? Can you shake hands? Can you tell people good morning? We put you to use. Just because you think you have to have this and, and be this doesn't mean that God cannot use you. The second thing I want to point out to you this morning, in order to do well with what, you, with what we have, we must empower what we have. And this comes from Judges 7, verses 18, I mean 8 through 18. So let's look at what the verses have to say this morning says in verse 8, So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other words and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. Now, you would think that right there Gideon would, would get the idea. First of all, when, he called, when God called him into his service in, in chapter, chapter 6, he said, mighty warrior. And so there, God told him, hey, I believe you, you're capable of doing it. And then right there, he just says, I'm going to give you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So, I guess Gideon was afraid, 
And so he had to go down to the camp and see what was going on. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of the Midian, of the Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Midian, son of Josh, the Israelite, victory over over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. The 300 remaining at Gideon's side must have thought to some degree that perhaps they had made a mistake. Hold up, G. Is there a plan B here? Because you already knocked us down to 300. Now you want them to divide us even more to try to take on this big group. What is going on here? Come on, Gideon. There's got to be something else here that's going on. Certainly a question I might have asked in that moment. Perhaps this was not such a good idea after all. The enemy has as many camels as the sand of sea. Our chances of survival, much less victory, are ridiculously poor. That's probably what the soldiers are thinking. It is not like they could not see the obvious that they were heavily outnumbered. But here's the thing about people who are crazy enough to believe God. They do not really care what the odds are. They do not really care what the enemy has at their disposal. What they do know is that if God said it, it is done. So Gideon is not concerned about their faith at this point. He needs to empower them to do what God has sent them to do. Let me tell you that victory does not come easily. And it does not come without having more numbers, without without having more enemies than the numbers. Sometimes our victories, when when, when we start out with what's in front of us, we think there's no way I can overcome this. There's no way I can do this. But, it, but when we start out in faith and then we see the outcome, we're like, why did I ever doubt? It's not come because the enemy is intimidated by who you are or who you proclaim to be. Victory comes because God has spoken and moved and we have responded appropriately. God does not need more people to overcome the enemy. He empowers the people he has to be victorious over the enemy. God and Gideon empowered the 300 by doing four things. And these are the four things I want to tell you within this. First of all, he gave them a promise. Get up. God is giving you victory today. That's what he told him. Get up. Without God in the picture, Gideon himself may not have moved from where he was. But God's promises are always on time. God has promised us some things too. He would never leave us or forsake us, as Hebrews 13, 5 says. He promised to save whoever will call upon his name, as Romans 10, 13 says. In fact, God made hundreds of promises to you and I. The next thing is, he gave them a plan. 
He divided them into three groups with instructions. He used his resources wisely. The Bible is our roadmap for life. And if we follow the plan, we win. Part of the plan is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Then he goes on and he gave them provision. He gave them horns and jars with torches, right weapons for the job. Not the ones others thought they would need. Because if you're looking going into battle and you're going against 100,000 men, you only got 30,000 men, you would think that they would need more stuff than what they had than just ram's horns, clay jars, and torches. I'd be asking God for, you know, if it was today, I need some tanks, I need some airplanes, some boats, ships, a couple nuclear bombs maybe. You know, God, you want me to go against this big army and now... You knocked it down to 300, God give me something. But God gave Median the right tools he needed. He gave them provision. The reality is God will never call you where he will not equip you. Just know going in, even if you do not see the tool in your hand, if God has called you to it, he will get you through it. And he has shown me that many times. Because many times he's called me to do things, and I think, there's no way I'm going to be successful. God, do you really understand who you just called? Especially when I look back to when God first called me into ministry. I was like, you sure you want to use me? You sure that, you know, students will listen to me? Which they don't always. But he still uses me somehow to, to reach them. He gives me the right tools at the right time. And then lastly, he gave them a purpose. For Gideon and the Lord. Why is this significant? Because at the end it says, Gideon and the Lord. Remember the dream was interpreted that Gideon would wipe out the armies of Midian? They had to know who was rolling into camp and who was coming with him. See there, Gideon doubted just for a second. Because God said, I'm going to give you victory. But if you're scared, go down into the camp, and I will show you that I'm going to give you victory. The third point that I need to tell you today is, in order to do well with what we have, we must unleash what we have. And that is seen in verses 18 and on. Let me put those up. Verses 18 through 25 for me. Okay, got it right here. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight after the changing of the guard when Gideon and a hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the, the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood in his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic. Shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other. 
with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beshithah near Zerah and to the border of Abadamoah near Tabith. Then Gideon sent for the warriors, Naphtali, Asher, Manasseh, who joined in chasing the army of Midian. Gideon also sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down to attack the Midianites, cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. So all them of Ephraim did as they were told. They captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders, killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they continued to chase the Midianites after the Israelites brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan River. Gideon turned those 300 men loose on the enemy. They pursued the enemy and brought back the fruits of battle. My dream is to unleash you to pursue the enemy across borders and barriers. That's the same dream I'm sure Pastor Jimmy has also. It's to equip us so when we go out these, four, these doors, is to be able to impact the world for Christ. The great joy of a pastor is seeing the people they serve turn loose for God. It is my greatest joy to see lives recommitted to the Lord. To see you step into reality of God's plan for your life. At some point, Gideon had to let go of his soldiers and entrust them to do what he needed them to do. We will not grow and we will not do well with what we have if we do not release it. At some point, Gideon had to, as I said, let go of his soldiers. Here's the bottom line. There will always be smarter, more capable, more capable, more capable people than you and me to accomplish certain things. None of those things matter when it comes to obeying God's call and using God's gifts. There are more examples than I have Sundays to show you in Scripture where the wrong people were the right tools for the job. And sometimes I thought that. I was like, God, I'm the wrong person you, you want to be using. But day in and day out, he'll show me, no, you are the right person. We think back to the, the first verse that I read this morning from Matthew 25. The verse is from the parable of the three servants. Jesus speaks about how each servant handled what was given to him. This parable teaches us that if we can be faithful over the few things, God will move us to greater things. I'm not asking anyone to perform a miracle today, but are we doing well with what we have? Are we being good stewards of what God has put in our hands? Are we using the talents and abilities he has given us to build his kingdom? These are the questions you need to ask yourself and respond to in your heart. I know I am. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Father. And I pray that we will realize what's in our hand. And not always what's in our hand is what we think we need to be able to accomplish what you have set us out to do. And Father, I pray for our congregation today. I pray, Lord, if there's someone out there that is being questioning whether or not they can be used by you. Father, whether or not they're good enough to, to be accepted by you, Father, I pray that you'll just clear their minds, open their ears, Lord, but most of all, open their heart to what you were saying to them, Father. 
Lord, thank you for allowing me to be your your mouthpiece today, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that lives were touched by what you had to say to them today. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.